Situated at the centre of the Cairngorms National Park, the Five Arms Hotel in Braemar brings together Scottish heritage, craftsmanship and culture with world-class contemporary art. This podcast celebrates the experts, locals and passion behind the hotel's five-year renovation. Welcome to the people of the Five. Hello, I'm Doreen Wood, a former BBC radio presenter, producer and reporter, with Braemar roots stretching back across many centuries. Today we're joined by local residents and historians Tom and Maureen Kelly. What is your connection with the Fife Arms? Well, my connection goes way back to 1968, when I worked as a receptionist for one summer in the Fife Arms. Subsequent to that, of course, we were asked by the Fife Arms Hotel to do some research to give assistance to the, interior, the London interior decorators, Russell Sage Studio. And we had great fun researching and finding out information. Now, we are not the all-time experts of Braemar, but we did enjoy that. And perhaps because we'd done quite a bit of research elsewhere, we were asked to do this. Where did you start looking for information? Well, we had books, first of all, um, which I'd inherited from an elderly cousin. Lots of books. We looked at the internet. We'd talked to people, lots of people. We went to visit places. It's an area in which the local people have a fund and wealth of knowledge about the area. You can hardly go down the street, but you bump into somebody who can tell you something new or different. And that's also true about the Five Farms. I don't think... It's a search that's ever going to end. So what is the earliest record of the Five Arms Hotel? The big problem is we don't exactly know when it started. The first mention we have is in 1842 in a survey of the Scottish church parishes where the minister mentions about three public houses in the area. Now one of them has to be the Five Arms. But interestingly what he says is their effects on the morals of the people are in many instances very unfavourable. But that's not the only mention we have in the 1840s because we know that a Thomas Lowe was the manager, you might say the proprietor of the hotel, from around 1842-43 until 1851 and that he said it was a large establishment. You've researched the various owners, so you know. So tell us a little bit about that. The owners, first of all, were the Duke of Fife, or the Earl of Fife, as he was before that. But the proprietors are probably the ones that we're we're talking about here. And there were several of them, but there's three main lots that I think are most important for the hotel. The first one is 1856, for 15 years, and that's John Hunter. And he was the one that really brought the Fife Arms up, because at that time we've got Queen Victoria and all the Victorian visitors coming, and he started to make the hotel something. So what was the clientele like at that point? Who, Who were coming to Braemar at that point? The court and people who, the hangers on to the court, and people later, as time got on, more and more people who wanted to see and be part of what was happening on the, the social scene, because this area was the, the social scene during the, the summer period. So that John Hunter came, and we know from his advert that he was offering excellent quality wines, and he had carriages um, driven by careful coachmen and intelligent guides. So that's John Hunter. And then we have the McNabs. Now, they're very important. They were there for about 25 years. 
In fact, the hotel was often known as McNabb's Hotel at that point, and he really brought the hotel up again. He was he got in tow with the coachman in Ballater, Bonner, who had the contract for the Royal Mail, and they set up another coach. The, the Invercald already had one, but they were now in competition with the Invercald, and they felt the Fife was better because they had they knew the good coachman, and also they ran the coach all year round, not just in the season. Uh, They also got very much involved with the Queen at that point, and I've got lovely stories about the Queen coming and and gathering and and the royals changing their horses and things of that nature. Um, They also were involved in a magic, a great ball in in Balmoral. They were asked by the Queen to do the catering for the ball um, for in celebration of Beatrice and Henry of Battenberg's marriage. And we are told that the pièce de résistance was a sirloin steak weighing 175 pounds with little flags on top, tasteful flags on top. Anyway, that's the McNabs. They were there for, as I say, 25 years. And then um, from 1897, you've got the McDonald's taking over. First of all, Mr McDonald ran it, but then during the war he was away and Mrs McDonald ran it and she was a very forceful lady. And they again kept the prestige of the hotel up. And during all that period, the Fife was the hotel to go to in Braemar. After the McDonald's left, one of the big reasons why the Fife went down was that the next manager didn't do what he was signed up to do. In fact, he ended up giving up in five years and being prosecuted. Tom, did you have favourite personalities, favourite stories that you uncovered from the researchers? My particular interest, if anything, is in the building, the stone construction of a building, where the stone comes from, how it's shaped, and the designs of that. And the Fife Arms is interesting because you can see different styles of stonework on the outside of the building. You can go from one corner to the others and you can see the history of the building in the way the stones are laid and even to some extent in the colour of the stones because there's a mixture of the pink and the light grey granites. And if you look at the basement level, you'll see there's a much darker stone as well, which is presumably culled from the previous buildings on the site. So that's, that's a particular interest of mine dating back to involvement with historic conservation. The Fife was built in different stages. Did your research show that up? Because there's a wing that was added on relatively... Well, I've collected quite a lot of both of photographs and postcards. I've got about 80 postcards from different stages of the Fife Arms. But it is fascinating looking at the early photographs to see just how different a place it was and how much it was changed in the 1890s and then in the early 1900s. You mentioned that there are different stones mm-hmm. used in the build. These would have been quarried from local quarries or would they have been transported? Because different colour of granite from different mm-hmm. quarries? We're trying to find out more about that. We believe that the pink granite comes from a quarry just... Just up Chapel Bray. The other interesting feature is the slate because you think of sl- you know, slate is slate. Well, no, it's not. There are very different kinds of slate and I think they've done an excellent job matching the slate when they've done the repairs on the roof here. We also get some dates for the repairs and the development from the newspaper cuttings of the time and that gives us some idea of some of the dates because they talk about the 
Prince Leopold being taken round the new wing of the Five Farms and being delighted, that kind of thing. And that gives you actual dates of when the development was done. And the Duke of Fife in the, six, the 1890s decided to do three-year renovation and rebuild to the Fife. You're both really knowledgeable about the history of the area. Can you share with us why Braemar in this area was so pivotal in, in Scottish history? The particular appeal of Braemar is a very interesting thing. It's a divided village. There are two sides of the river. It goes back a long, long way in Scottish history. You can go way, way back to the original um, St Andrew's in, um, interest down by the castle and then Kindrocket Castle. It's always been a gathering place and it's always been a centre of activities, but different activities at different times. As a gathering place, for example, there was the Great Hunt in the 17th century and there were hundreds of people involved. In the early 1600s, we hear that were 1,400 people out on the gathering, which lasted for days. And this was because of the Earl of Mar? The Earl of Mar, yes. And he, we, we know about it because the water poet was a friend of the Earl of Mar and he came up with him, John Taylor. He came up, he was invited to come and stay for a month here and he went on the hunt. And he talks about the wonderful feasts they had and the, the people here in the, in the Fife would be delighted about the fire oven and all the, the kind of roasts and things they had. Lots, lots of wonderful food that they provided on the, the, various, on the hunt. Tom, you mentioned Kendrocket Castle, which has an even more ancient history and sits right next to the hotel here. Mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting story, Kendrocket Castle. It was built by the kings of Scotland, ostensibly as a hunting lodge. But there are many who think that it was actually a base for keeping control in this area. So that by having a castle, a strongly fortified castle, at a very strategic point such as that, they could in effect command a large area. Of course, kings of Scotland were notoriously susceptible to being deposed by a competitor aristocrat. And often attack was the best means of defence. So if you could find a pretext to move in, you could do something about a, a, a noble lord who was getting too uppity for you. So from the point of view of the estates around here, Kindrocket Castle served a function. Now, quite why it was abandoned, I don't think we know. No, we don't know exactly. One interesting feature about Kindrocket is it was the structure that we now see, or, or the ruins that we now see, tended to be built by an earlier Earl of Mar, and he, in the 1400s, and it is reckoned that he employed people from East Prussia to actually carry the stones. He captured them, they were sailors, and, and, and he captured them, and he brought them here to actually carry the stones. So it's been an international area for many years. So was it the Victorian period that Braemar started to really flourish? Yes, it certainly was, because we find Victoria, she stayed and changed, stopped and changed horses at the Five Farms. All the royals did that, so they stopped at Braemar and, and, and at the Five Farms, and in fact, the people used to gather and they doffed their hats and curtsied to her. But there's a lovely story about one time she came at the games, the night before the games, and obviously the clientele in the Five were not quite as, as respectful, and we have the story of an, a stout lady leaping over a table to get there and somebody else um, who was courting, leaving off her boyfriend, crawling under a table, arriving a bit dishevelled to be part of it and the Queen was not amused and encouraged, uh, ordered them to move along. 
But yes, the the really the, the tourists came. There were two or three busloads a, a day, latterly coming in, into Braemar of people at the, the time, and it was all to do with a lot of it to do with the the royals. And then, of course, people started to love the Highlands and walking and all that kind of thing became popular because you know that by the number of books that start to be published about people wandering in and touring around the area, and that is another feature why Braemar with its beauty. It became so important. You've both done an enormous amount of research into the Five Farms Hotel and its history. Of, of all that that you've discovered, have you got a favourite story from it? I suppose my favourite historic photograph of the Five Farms is one with a, a horse-drawn sleigh outside the hotel. McNabb's, and you can see the sign, McNabb Proprietor, behind. And I think that's absolutely super. <laughs> The idea that you'd come up to the Five Arms by horse-drawn sleigh. I'd like to do that one day. It's an indication of the sort of weather that, that Braemar gets mm -hmm. in the winter. Another story which I loved was the story of the Crown Prince Frederick coming here. Now, by this time, he was married to Queen Victoria's favourite daughter, eldest daughter, Vicky. But he, come, he came and stayed in the Five Arms. And I wondered, why did he come to stay in the Five Arms? And then I found out that Queen Victoria wouldn't allow people to smoke in Balmoral, and he was a great smoker. And the other thing I wondered was, she was a terrific fresh air fiend and insisted on all the doors being open, so windows being open, so perhaps he came for a heat in the Five Arms and found it rather more comfortable. She certainly writes in her diary at the end, because he'd had an operation and whatnot, and she certainly writes that it had done him a lot of good. Tom, it's, it's interesting. Braemar is actually two villages. Um, it's a tiny remote place and with a small population which is is strange that we've got two villages sitting side by side it is partly geography simply that it is that you can't go east then south except except through Braemar um, it's not an artificial creation in that sense but it is overdeveloped I mean look at the number of churches there are in Braemar in relation to its population look at the number of eating and drinking places there are in Braemar in relation to its resident population. It has always been a gathering place because of its situation, but also partly because of its history and the nature of the community. This is a very inclusive community. You hear tell of other Highland communities where it's very difficult to be an outsider. You will always feel that you're an outsider. In Braemar, you're drawn into the community in a way that I haven't experienced elsewhere in the Highlands of Scotland. Tom and Maureen Kelly, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the people of the Fife. Do visit our website, thefifearms.com. The music used on this podcast is called The Fife Arms Braemar and is written and performed by Scottish fiddler Paul Anderson. <laughs>